Welcome to the Time Machine. Experience the cancer journey through the eyes of the traveler. Welcome back to the Time Machine. This is a very, very special episode that's really dear to my heart. On this episode today, I'll introduce Pastor Ken McCallum, who's been a mentor and father figure to me for 35 plus years. We met when I was 12 or 13 years old and attended Billings Christian School. And from that time till now, he's been a constant force in my life and uh, has had a massive impact. Uh, On this episode, he's going to share how his cancer journey led him into the darkest moments of his life and how his faith brought him through that fear. All right. Well, Pastor Ken McCallum, thank you for joining me in the time machine. Excited to have you. So we'll just jump right in, and I'm going to ask you about your diagnosis, um, prognosis, treatment options. So we'll start right there with diagnosis. Can you tell me when and what your cancer diagnosis is? Well, it's been about two years ago. I went in for a colonoscopy, and they discovered cancer. And... uh, they went in, they took about, it was a colon cancer, but it wasn't a regular colon cancer. It was, a colon cancer is a large cell cancer and it's um, not very aggressive. This was more like a lung cancer, which is a small cell cancer that's aggressive, which means it will, it will come back. It will okay. try to re- come back on you. And so they took out about, I, I suppose, six to eight inches of my colon and five or six uh, um, areas that were, I can't remember the name of them, but, uh, and, that, and that went, that surgery went very, very well. Uh, he thought he got everything. Um, they then began to check me for it to come back because he fully expected it to come back. And uh, so for a year, every three months, I would go in and um, take all the tests and blood tests and they'd take pictures and and nothing. So I said, well, it's not come back. Let's try six months. So at six months, the cancer had come back. And it wasn't in my colon, but it was in my abdomen. And it wasn't in between times, my uh, gallbladder had gone bad on me. And they discovered that and they went in to take my gallbladder out and discovered that it was dead. And it had adhered to other organs in my body. And uh, the doctor said, you gave me a hard time there because if he tries to, you can't just go in and cut that away. You have to get that to let go of the other organs. And it was it was black. It, it be, I don't know how long it had been dead, but it was, I asked him, did it have gangrene? And he said it was black. It was 
really bad. And they got that out. Well, then at the end, at the end of the six months, they went in and they found the cancer um, was there again. But he said it's not touching any organs or anything. It's, it's just there. And I said, well, we didn't know what to do. Uh, I had, I thought I had two options. I could take the chemo which I didn't want to do because I'd seen my brother die from colon cancer. And he took the chemo and I, I didn't, he wasn't living, he was just taking treatments and puking and not being able to eat. And I told him I don't want that and he said, well, I don't blame you. He said, with this kind of cancer, what the chemo will do, it will go in and shrink the cancer and then the cancer will adjust to it and it'll come back and then we have to use a stronger chemo and it'll shrink the cancer and then it'll come back and he said it's it's just really really rough it's a really bad treatment he said the other treatment is uh, radiation and he didn't say anything about radiation except that was another treatment so i asked him what were the side effects of that and he said well it can be, and he named side effects, diarrhea, and several different things. And I said, well, what would happen if we waited three months to see what actually is going to happen? Whether it's going to grow or grow fast or grow slow or what? And he said, that, yeah, that would probably be a good plan. So we went three months, and they did the tests on me again, and the cancer had grown probably, I don't know how much, probably... It started out at about two and a half inches by an inch and three quarters or something like that. And so he said, well, it has grown, he said. And he said, there's a shadow in one of your lymph nodes. That's what they took out. They took five or six lymph nodes out the first operation. And he said, it's on the other side of your abdomen and it's lymph nodes. He said, there's a shadow there. We don't know but I think it might be the beginning of another cancer because the one here was starting to metastasize, get bigger. And so we waited another three months and, and that's what I, we're going through right now. And then I found out when I talked to him that the radiation, they couldn't give me radiation because my kidneys wouldn't handle the radiation. So when I went in for the last checkup, he talked to me about a, a new treatment that is relatively new, and it's kind of an infusion kind of a thing where they take you in, and I don't know what actually it is. I was scheduled to go in on the on the 2nd of January, and my insurance would not pay for the medication. They would pay for medication if it... If, he would accept the medication they would give him. But it was a two-part medication. And the medication that they give with this new treatment is only one, one chemical. So he talked to them, and they said, we'll, we'll, we will not give you just the one chemical. You have to take the two chemicals. He said... And they're not separable. In other words, they don't give them one chemical and another. 
they're a mixture that evidently that they have to give together. And he said, well, I can't give that to him, it'll kill him. And so he said, we had to cancel our appointment. And he, and he said, I want you to come in and we'll sign, I'll have you sign papers and I'll sign papers and then I'll call um, the company that gives this one chemical. And he said, we've done this before and they will donate the chemical because they're working evidently with this company on this specific cancer treatment. And so he said, we'll give you, he said, I'm sure that they'll okay it. And he said, so I went in and uh, I went in and signed the papers with the lady, Mona is her name, at the cancer treatment center. And Martha and I went in and we signed the papers and then he signed the papers and then he talked to him, And she told me it'll be about, it'll be two weeks before we know whether they will pay the, whether they'll donate the chemical. She said, um, they've never ever refused us. And if they don't, then I'm not gonna take the treatment because we don't have the money to take that. And so we're waiting now to find out what's gonna happen. Um, and I don't really know what is involved in the treatment until I talk to um, the doctor because they'll I'll go if they'll give the chemical I'll go in he'll he'll set up an appointment and I'll go in they'll do the blood tests and stuff kind of like maybe you take I don't know where they look at all of these different areas yes and then um, if it's okay then we'll start the treatment right away and my understanding is it's it's a treatment that lasts about 30 minutes and you have to take a treatment every I don't know whether it's every week or every three weeks for a set time and then there's a, a time I, I don't really know what the procedure is after that okay so you mentioned Martha your wife um, how long have you been married and what has this journey been like for the two of you well we've been married 63 years on November the 10th so just getting started yeah <laughs> And uh, my wife is a very special person. Um, and I guess every man feels that way, but she's very, very quiet and she's very stable. She's very like Cassidy, <laughs> okay. And uh, only Cassidy is much more outgoing than Martha is. Martha's very quiet and subdued and, and she, helps balance me. You would never know that she had a problem with me having cancer. It doesn't mean she wasn't concerned and she wasn't praying all the time. But when I first got cancer because of what happened to my brother, I thought, well, that's a death sentence. So I didn't want to buy clothes or I didn't want to buy, if I ran out of shaving lotion, I didn't want to buy that because I might not be here in three months. And <laughs> she she did tell me not to be like that. <laughs> I mean, she was she she's really a special person. It doesn't mean that she wasn't really concerned. She was, 
but she doesn't show it like I do. I should, I'm pretty upfront with everything. <laughs> what you see is what you get with me, really. And so, but for me, it was probably probably the darkest time I've faced in my whole life because of what I went through with Stan watching him die. I just took it for granted I was going to die. And and it was so dark. I mean, I'm a Christian, so I love the Lord and I belong to him. But I didn't know what to ask him. I didn't, I don't want to live longer than God wants me to live because I've read in the Bible about um, the king of Judah. And uh, he asked the Lord for more time and God gave him 15 more years and he had a son that destroyed actually the people. He brought in idol worship and they were sacrificing their children to to uh, Baal, a big metal statue with these hands like they had built a fire in him and put the babies in, in the hands. I don't know how they could do that. But I didn't want to live longer than God wanted me to live. So I didn't know whether to, whether to ask him to take me home or let me stay or I just was in darkness. It was awful, Don. It was awful. Worst I've ever been in my life even before I accepted Christ as my Savior. It wasn't that I was afraid I'd go to hell or anything like that. I know I'm going to heaven, but in fact, when I told my doctor that, he laughed at me, but I told him I wasn't afraid to die. I just didn't want to live without living, you know. And so, it was a, a really dark time and I didn't know what to pray and and it was really, really, really dark. I don't know if you experienced something like that, but I sure did. And so finally, I, because I didn't know what to, huh, I didn't know what to ask the Lord to do. So finally, I, I thought, well, God loves me and he would do what's best for me and he knows what's best for me and my family. So I prayed and I said, Dear Heavenly Father, you choose for me. I'll trust you to choose for me because I don't know what to ask you. And then just, just the peace like you wouldn't believe and that peace has never left. I'm not, people wonder if I'm afraid or concerned about tests or anything. I'm not concerned about anything. I don't, I don't have a worry in the world about cancer. Since when, and, and that was an immediate thing that happened. That happened immediately. I don't know, I think you probably have experienced darkness like this, where it comes down on you and just covers you. Yes. And, the moment I, the moment I told my heavenly Father to please choose for me, all the darkness left. It's never been back, and it'll never come back. And Martha's 
she's probably been a stabilizing influence in my life as long as I've known her. And probably, I told her one time, and very seriously, I said, when we get to heaven, and it, when the Lord gives out rewards, I'll be way in the back seat, and you'll be up front. And I really believe that. She's been faithful, always, never. I never have heard her gripe. Or She worked for the church, and I don't think they ever gave her. I went on to bat, because I was senior pastor. I went to bat for my associate pastor, and my youth pastor to get them raises. And I think I, I did try to get Martha a raise, and I don't know, I think they gave her a small raise, but she never, she was a church secretary, the school secretary, and faithful, and I've never heard her gripe or moan or be upset about what she was paid or I didn't care what they paid me, and I told them that because I wasn't working for the, for the church. I I belonged to the Lord, and He called me to preach and be a pastor, and He's He's provided for us, absolutely. I, there were times that I didn't know where my next meal was coming from, but God has never, never, never failed me. Um. I don't know how much to go in on, to that on, but I asked the Lord one time because I got real sick and I thought if I died, Martha would be right out on the street because we were living in a parsonage and we had never owned a home. And I, I asked the Lord, Lord, would you please let me, let me have a home for Martha. And, uh, one of the men in my church that was wealthy, um, he came to me and he said, "Can I?" He said, "Let's go down to the bank and see if you can borrow money to to build a house." And so I I went down, we went down to the bank and he went with me because he borrowed millions of dollars from that bank. And so he went down and he, with me and he never said much. He introduced me and and the and the Banks president said, well, what can I do for you? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't think you can do nothing. <laughs> but he said, well, what do you want? He said. <laughs> and so I said, well, the Lord told me I can build a house for my wife because God had told me I'll let you do that. And so he said, well, tell me what your finances are. And and I, so I told him what our finances were, and he said, he said, you know, he said, you have a problem. He said, you have a, a beer pocketbook. He said, uh, how did he put it? Champagne taste. Champagne taste in a beer, in a beer top pocket. I've been pocket. told that too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he's, he's not going to loan me any money. He said, I'm not, I can't loan you any money. I said, okay, thank you. He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I suppose I'm going to build a house for my wife because he told me I could build a house for my wife. He just shook his head at me. And I think that the gentleman in my church that was there with me, I think he kind of ducked his head. I shouldn't have brought this guy down here. <laughs> but <laughs> but he, was, he was really understanding. He really was a, a good person. He had problems, that, you know, but he, was, he, he loved the Lord, even though he had problems in his life like, Everybody does. We have things we're growing with the Lord with. 
And so I went home and I didn't know what to do and I just trusted the Lord. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call from the bank and they said, he said, can he come down here? He said, I got some cheap money. I want to loan you money for that house. This is the man that told me I had a champagne taste and a beer to pocket book. So I went down, they loaned me the money and one of the men in my church was a builder and he began to build a house for us and then he finished the house and we had the house and then the 80s hit and we had a really bad, people were leaving Billings to go find work. It was terrible. The People were taking, businesses were taking 10 cents on the dollar on what people owed them. It was that bad. And I was, we were hurting every single month. We, we were having a hard time paying our teachers and we couldn't pay our teachers and and God was always faithful because it would, there were so many miracles that happened during that time. Um, I remember one of the young couples in our church, both of them taught in the school, and I remember the pastors, um, Pastor Allen and Pastor Jim and myself, we got it together and pulled what little money we had, and we went and bought, we felt led by the Lord to buy some groceries for that young family. And I remember we came back with a trunk full of groceries and we were gonna move it for one, from one car into the church and then one of the guys was gonna take it over that evening. And uh, Jim said, well, Ken, why don't we just take it over there right now? And so we did. We went up to the door and I rang the doorbell and I heard this young couple fighting. They had two children. This was a really hard time. And they had two children and the wife was concerned about the children and feeding them and paying the rent and they were, they were in an argument about it. And, and she she ran into the bedroom and he came to the door and we had these sacks of groceries and we said, the Lord told us to bring this to you. God wanted the kids to know that he cared for them and to take care of them. But we were having a hard time paying our rent and every month it was late, it would be late a day late, two days late. And finally, the bank said to me, um, and the lady at the bank, her name was Margaret, I'll never forget her, she was a wonderful lady. And she was so embarrassed and she said, she said, Pastor, the, she said the chairman of the bank, the, the group that made decisions for the bank, she said they, have decided that you have to sign this paper. And she said, I want you to know what it says. It says that if if you're late, you have to make the payment at such and such a time on Tuesday. And if you are five minutes late, they're gonna foreclose. They're gonna take your house. You're gonna have to pay everything you us, plus your lawyer and plus their lawyers. And she was so embarrassed to tell me that. And it, it was hard for her. She was a she was really a nice lady. 
And uh, I said, okay, where's the pen? Because we owed them, them the money. So the only thing I could do was sign that paper. So I signed the paper and then it would come, the, the month would come to pay and and she would call. She'd say, Martha would answer the phone because she was the church secretary and she'd say, this pastor can't have the money. And Martha said, well, we're trusting the Lord. Well, this would be like on Monday. And on Tuesday, we had to pay. And I think she must have just, I think she really worried about us, to be honest with you. And But God was always faithful. I was able to make the payment at that time. Sometime it's close to the time that it was the cutoff time, but I would be there before, I think it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then one time I was busy counseling, and Martha called me and said, Honey, we don't have the money. And I said, Well, we'll see what the Lord will do. Well, then, just a few minutes before I was supposed to be down there, just gave me enough time to get down there, she said, Honey, money came in the mail. I don't even remember how it came. But she said, We have the money. And so... I ran back to the church because I'd been counseling with someone in, in their home and I got the money and I got down to the bank and I went up to the third floor and I went up to the door, got out of the elevator and went up to the door. And I, it was about five minutes to three, which meant I was five minutes early, so I knew I was all right. I went to open the door and it was locked. And I just lost my house and I had nothing to take care of my wife and kids. And I looked up at the Lord and I, and I was frustrated and I said, well, Lord, if you want to take the house, that's okay. You gave us the house, you have a right to take it away. And I said, if you don't want to take the house, you have to get me in this door. And the elevator opened and this gentleman stepped out in a dark blue suit and a tie and he said, you want in there? And I waved the, I was kind of frustrated, and I waved the check. I said, well, I got a payment, but I can't get in to pay it. He said, follow me. He went over to a door that I hadn't even seen before. Opened the door, took me down that hall that was full of dust and didn't even look like it had been ever finished. And we went down the hall and over and turned and turned and came to a door, and he took hold of the door, and he opened it for me. And I stepped in and right across here, uh, in this whole floor in the bank, there were these partitions with glass up above and in the, each of these cubicles, people were working. And I looked right across and there was Margaret and I waved the check and I said, am I too late? And she said, no, Pastor Ken, come here. And I turned to thank the gentleman and there was nobody there. I never even thought about this before and I don't tell many people. I don't know what, what that man was. He had no place to go. He didn't go by me. The hall was a long, narrow hall. There were no doors off it on that part of the hall. He just disappeared. That's what I mean. God has been faithful to my wife and I and our children. And... You know, 
I look back on my life because I'm old now. You had to help me down the stairs. And I can remember all the times I failed the Lord. But I cannot tell you one time that God has ever failed me. Not one time. We were, and I hesitate to say this, because people will think highly of me and it wasn't me. We were $18,000 behind on our, on our salary at the church. My associate pastor at that time was behind on his salary. The teachers were behind on their salaries. Eventually we paid all of it. But at that time, we had a board meeting and one of my board members said, if, if we keep going like this pretty soon, if we sold this place, we would not have money to clear our bills. And that bothered me. And it bothered my other pastor. And he came to me and he said, I'm going to forgive what they owe me. And I went to Martha because I felt I should do that. And I said, Martha, that's $18,000. I'd like to forgive it. And she said, well, she said, the Lord's taken care of us. He's paid all of our bills month by month. She said, let's forgive it. That's what I mean, Martha. She is. God was good to me when he gave her to me. And I don't tell that to a lot of people. I'm scared to even tell it here. Because people think highly of you when you, when you just do what God asks you to do. And God has given so much more to us than we can ever give to him. But I cannot remember one time that God ever failed us. Not one time. And I'm not, that's, you know, I used to get disgusted. I'd read my Bible and the children of Israel, God would do all these miracles for them. And then the first little problem that came up, they'd just throw their hands up and say, oh, we'll go back to Egypt. God has forsaken us, you know. And I used to think, you are the stu stupidest people in the world. And then the Lord pointed to me and said, Kenny, look at this and this and this. And that's what I was doing. Something would come up like not being able to pay our bills and, I had one, one family in the church said, we're not paying our bills and I'm not having my family in the church that won't pay their bills. And we went to, we went finally, we owed about $185,000 to businessmen. And one of the men in our, in our church, in fact, the man that took me down to the bank came and he said, he said, I'll give $50,000 if you, if the church can, get enough money to pay these bills off. And so I went to our our creditors, the people, that, the businesses that we owed money. And Anderson Steel was one of those and Timberwell was one of those and there were others. And so I went to them and I asked them if we, if we could pay 50 cents on the dollar. 
And one of the businessmen said, it was Anderson Steele, he said, and that's a family business. And he said, my brother said, if you can get 50 cents on a dollar, grab it. He said, we're taking 10 cents on the dollar for what people owe us. So I went to every one of them and, and asked them if they would. And Anderson Steele told me, uh, Dwayne Anderson said, if Timberwell go, because he did quite a bit of business with Timberwell, evidently, he said, if they'll, if they'll do this, I'll do this. And the only one that wouldn't do it was Timberweld. And the guy was, uh, he, had, he had planned on going to all of our creditors and paying off their bills and getting that property and the, and the building, because the building was up, it wasn't finished yet, but it was up. And uh, he planned on getting that for his company. And so I went, I went to Dwayne Anderson, he was the last one, I said, uh, he said, well, what, what, what's going to happen? I said, well, it, it's not going to fly because somebody won't take 50 cents on the dollar. He said, who won't take 50 cents on the dollar? My brother's told me to grab that. And, and so I told him, he said, well, why won't he? He said, you owe me more money than you owe him. And, and so I told him because I knew why he wanted to not take the 50 cents on the dollar. And he said, well, that's not fair. And this is the man that said, if he'll do it, I'll do it. He said, what would happen if you paid everybody else and I just took an unsecured loan from you? I said, I don't know. Um, he said, you know what an unsecured loan is? And I, I looked at him and I don't think he thought I knew anything about money and probably I didn't. And I said, yeah, I do know what that means. It means you have no security at all. He said, yeah. He said, you know what my security is? He said, I've watched this church. And this is the Lord. And he said, your reputation is my security. So we paid everybody. Timberweld we paid and the other people we owed, we paid them the full amount of what we owed them. And we went and I signed the note, an insecure note. And eventually we paid Anderson Steele everything we owed them to. God was faithful. And we went through that time of testing and at times I just felt so much like a failure that it was awful. And I was a failure, but God was not a failure. So when this cancer thing comes up, I look at all those things and I don't want to be like Israel. You know, God can heal me if he wants me to live. Doctors, God is the healer. They can give me medicine, but people die after taking the medicine. But God is the healer, and if he wants to heal us, he can heal us. And if he wants to take us home, he can take us home, and he won't make a mistake. And I don't have any problem at all with trusting myself to him. I love him. I don't ever know why he loved me. I sure failed him lots of times. But he's been so good to me and my family.
I, I just, I'm just amazed at how gracious and good and kind and wonderful God is. I'm sorry, I can't, it's hard for me to talk yeah. about this stuff. Well, I appreciate you being open and walking us through this journey. And um, I have had moments of darkness too. And, uh, you know, especially with three yeah. little ones and, and thinking about, you know, how it would affect them if, you know, if I were to die yeah, here. That's exactly, that's the part, of, that's how the devil works. What? Try, tries to get us to grow through that without going through it. He makes us feel all of that. And that's what I went through. Who's going to take care of Martha? How's, how's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? All the darkness, all these things, that's what he tries to do. And boy, when I, when I realized that I could trust my Heavenly Father and that I did, it was gone. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, that's good. No, my, my daughter came and sat on my desk last night and had a little piece of paper and I, I was writing notes on it. And she looked at it and she said, is that true? And I was like, what's that? And she said, God doesn't need you. <clears throat> and so it was, I said, yes, that is true. And I, um, and the reason I wrote it was because it was, it was something that um, helped me through that process. You know, when I was, when I, before I was diagnosed, we had conversations and you had told me some of the things about the darkness and the things that were happening with you. And um, you had mentioned, and, and I would love for you to, to speak on this, as you mentioned Psalms 23 and um, the valley of the shadow of death. And I noticed earlier when you said that the doctor had found a shadow, it reminded me of that story. Um, but when, when I first was diagnosed and I was processing through a lot of things, my concerns were for, for my kids, mm -hmm. you know, as a Christian, and I know um, I have no fear of death. My my wife, you know, I know that um, and she will be fine because she loves the Lord and the most important things are in order. I do understand that it would be difficult, of course. But when I look at my kids, I, I wonder. And so I had this moment where, you know, I did not hear an audible voice, but I felt uh, God I clearly tell me, you know, I don't need you. And, and the worry for me was I'd like to be here for my kids. I'd like to be here to show them things that I wasn't shown. I'd like to be a part of that, which I still obviously would. It'd be a great gift to be able to, you know, for God to be able to allow me to, to be in their life. But it was really a great release when I just felt this clear, I don't need you. Yeah, and, I'll and, take care of them. Yeah, I got them. Yeah. I got them. Like, I'm, you know, I am God and... Appreciate your concern, but I got this this thing covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's it, great. It was a really a, a a release for me to to not have to have worries or anxieties or fears on things that. And so for me, that time was was pretty short, but I definitely went through through some times Darker. of darkness for sure. But I part of that process too was, you know, I thought about some of the things you had mentioned, and you'd mentioned. Psalms 23 and you know and you've been now you were a pastor for how long about 40 years I guess okay and so 
with um with that background and and obviously Psalms 23 is a pretty famous well-known um scripture so when we had that conversation it really helped me when you mentioned that for years you had thought what does what is the valley of the shadow of death yeah can you share me share with us a little bit about that yeah well i always thought when i read that psalm i always thought that's the time when you die and you go through this time right when you're dying you go through a valley of the shadow of death and and the lord spoke to me and i i don't hear voices you know it's like when i pray to god i don't i don't say words out loud i think words to him when i when i pray you know, I pray out loud to God too, but sometimes I pray without saying any words. Well, that's the way God talks to me, words without sound. And I, can, I recognize his voice when he talks to me. Just like we learned, I know your voice. If you're, I know Cassidy's voice. If she called on the phone, I would know it was Cassidy. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Well, one day I was thinking about that and, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Kenny, the valley of the shadow of death, you're going through that right now. That's from the time you're born until the time you die. You're, that shadow of death ho hovers over you all that time. You could die at any time. And he said, yea, though I walk through the, I, there's nothing in life that should scare us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. For thou art with me. Mm -hmm. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God made that so real to me that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing in this life should frighten us. Nothing should knock us off stride, um, even when we fail. And God knows that Christians fail. I, I don't know. I've known some wonderful Christians, but I have never met a Christian that did not fail. We fail in places. And, and that, I guess, is why God said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If Jesus, I remember when the Lord showed me that Jesus forgave me for the sins I've done in the past, for the sins I might commit today, and the, the sins that I might commit tomorrow, all of them are paid for. He was made sin for us, the one who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not only did he take my sins and pay for them on the cross, but he gave me the righteous, holy life he lived. And God credits that to my account. I remember one time I, I was in church and the Lord gave me an illustration. I can't even remember what I was preaching, but it must have been about, about this type of thing where God forgives. Because... The Lord gave me this, and I, I reached in my billfold and got an old dirty dollar bill, and I said, what, you, what is that? And the people looked at me like, you're dumb. Why you ask us that question? I said, well, listen, a dirty old dollar bill. I said, that's me. And then I held up my Bible, and I said, what is this? 
And I said, well, this is a holy Bible and this represents Jesus. And then I let my Bible fall open and I put the dollar bill in it. I said, when you see the dollar bill, you see me. When you see the Bible, you see Jesus. I, and then I put the dollar bill in, closed the Bible, and I said, now what do you see? That's what God sees when he looks at us. He sees the life of his Holy Son. And he does not, he does not see all of the mistakes and the rotten things I've done in my life. He does not see that. Because Jesus paid for that on the cross. He was made sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we are accepted in the beloved one. God accepts us when we receive Christ as our Savior. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to my Father but by me. God is so good, Don. Yes, indeed. Yes. And thank you for sharing your your heart with us. And it's not a surprise to me that we started out the conversation asking about a diagnosis and prognosis and treatment. And we spent very little time there and went into, you know, your life of faith. And um, I really appreciate, you know, you walking through that. And I can see that because of that life of faith and walking through that, you know, cancer was, was, um, was not near as scary as, is. It's not a big deal. Yeah. So I would also like to ask you this. So we've talked about your life and, and, um, I would love to hear how you met Martha and, uh, how you knew <laughs> and how long that process was from when you first saw her till you got her to sign that lifelong contract. Oh, well, that was a. I'm I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I told the Lord one time, if you if you talk to me, Lord, you gotta use a two by four because I'm thick headed. But I had friends in in college that were nuts. That's why they were my friends because. Birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I had a friend named Bob, and and we were talking one time, and they there was a one guy in, in college that he was kind of a nerd. And he was a good guy, but no, no girl, I think, wanted to date him. And I hadn't dated. Um, I remember one time some of my friends said, if you don't ask a girl to go to this party, we're going to ask a girl for you. And I said, you're going to take her for me too then. <laughs> you know, because I, I had an awful time asking girls out because I didn't feel like anybody would want to go with me. So we said Martha worked in the dish room. That was part of her duty as a student that paid part of her bill. Like all of us had a... A duty to do for her. mine was mopping the kitchen floor in the college and that paid part of my bill and so they said well let's let's ask Martha if she would go with him because Martha was real quiet and she was real 
she was real kind. And so, so we went over there, and, and this friend of mine, Bob was his name, and Martha was drying dishes in the dishroom. We went over there, and Bob thought he was God's gift to the women. He, he was, he, he sang in church when he was 10 years old, and he was very charismatic and nice looking, and, and girls would go with him. And, and he thought everybody would. <laughs> All he had to do was ask, you know. And so we went in there, and, and I felt uncomfortable doing this to Martha. I I knew her because she sat. We had in the in the dining hall. We had family tables, and I was the host on. And then they would have one of the upper class women would be the hostess at that table. And Martha sat at that table. At one point, she sat right next to me at that table. So I knew her. And I, and I had noticed her, <laughs> and I didn't feel good about doing this to her, so I was a little embarrassed. And so Bob went in, and he, of course he's the one that could present this. And so he, he said, Martha, would you go with so and so? And she said, she looked at him. She said, No. And so he thought, Well, this is a good chance for me to show that I I can. Girls like me, you know. He said, would you go with me? And she looked at him. She said, no. <laughs> and I don't know why, except God must have prompted him, but he said to Martha, he said, would you go with Ken? And she didn't even hesitate. She said, yes. Well, I was so embarrassed because I could get in a fistfight easier than I could ask a girl out. And that's the truth. I tell you, I was so embarrassed and I got to thinking about that and I said, here this girl has said that she would go with me and now I don't ask her out? What kind of a heel is that? You know, I really felt bad. So I thought, well, I'll see if she really meant it. And so I asked her and she did and that's how we started dating. That's the first date I had with her and it happened because I had a idiot for a friend <laughs> that asked her out for you <laughs> yeah that asked her out for <laughs> a pretty me. good friend yeah and I, I, I never <laughs> in that instance of, i never thought of that till you just said it <laughs> they did ask her out and i went <laughs> uh, yeah that was that was how i really the first date i had with her was because of that and that wasn't the last date because i asked her out a lot after that and and i loved her but i didn't know it she knew she loved me one time she said to me, Kenny, I love you. And boy, that just smote me. And I thought, and so I told her, I said, Martha, I've never told a girl that I love her. I said, I love my mom and I love my aunt, and but I've never told a woman I love her. And if I ever say to you, Martha, I love you, you know that I'm asking you to marry me. And I never did for... Months and months and months. I, I went with her. We went. I can remember school was in San Francisco. We walked from downtown San Francisco one day in the rain, clear out to Silver Avenue in San Francisco. Had the time of my life just walking with that girl. I mean, never happier than when I was with her. 
And one night we, I had a 47 <laughs> Ford Coupe. And we were riding along one evening. And I had been struggling with this because I didn't want to tell her I loved her and and then find out I didn't. And I, I'd been asking God, is this the one you have for me? And I finally felt like this was the one that God had for me. And we were riding along and she was sitting next to me and, and I just, out of the blue, I said, Martha, I love you. And it got real quiet and I thought, she didn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, did you hear me? And she said, yes, I heard you. I said, you, do you know what I said? And she said, you asked me to marry you. And then she didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And I was, and, and then she said, yes. <laughs> and boy, that's next to the Lord. That's the greatest gift God has given me. Is my wife. And when I told her that time that I'd be in the back row and she'd be up front, I meant that. I really believe that. She's she's been more faithful. When I when I told her about the paper that I had to sign. She said, well, the Lord gave us the house. If he wants to take it away, that's all right. God blessed me when he gave me that woman. You know what I'm talking about. I do. I know. And I, when we got diagnosis, I took a, a walk with my wife up at Fort Smith. We were heading out of town with the kids, and so we got up there and we had a chance to go, and that was our first chance to talk. It was actually pre-diagnosis. It was when they told us there's something wrong. Live in the present. You know, we're sending you to a specialist, and we knew at that point that it was life-threatening. And so we were holding hands and went for a walk, and I asked her, you know, what do you think? And uh, she said, well, I'm not mad. I don't think, you know, we got, you know, gypped. Um, she said, I'm not angry. Um, she said, I might cry, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not fearful. And it's been like that, you know. That's Martha. Yeah. God was good to you too. Indeed. Indeed. Why a couple knuckleheads like us ended yeah. up with a couple oh. girls like that is hard to... It's a miracle. It's proof of God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor, I'll tell him that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, God is good. I can't. I can't really think of a, a better way to end it than than that. Unless, do you have any last thoughts or things you would like to to add? No. I've said a lot of things that I never thought I'd say where public could hear today. But people need to know how good God is. And they need to know that God is good to bad people. Because I was a bad people. And God loved me and saved me and 
bless me all my life long, just like Psalms 23. And I'm still walking through the valley. And I haven't come to the end yet. And I fear no evil. And I fear no evil. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you again for, for coming on and for, for sharing your life with us. And uh, with that, I think we can, uh, we can jump out and, and two knuckleheads can, can end uh, this conversation right about now. Thank you for coming. You bet. Thank you.